Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm a tool, not a toy. Yep, gonna let that one linger. I mean, I'm Alex. <laughs> and I'm Britton, one of the three kings here. Yes, we three kings are, are uh, bring unto you tidings of great movies. Um, yeah. It's the Christmas episode, guys. Our favorite annual tradition. Or mine, anyway. Yeah. I feel like the Thanksgiving episode is still... Like, we, everyone has a Christmas episode. How many people true. have a do a horrifying movie on Thanksgiving? We tradition? might have a better hit rate in terms of overall quality, like consistency of yeah. quality across the, the Thanksgiving episode. Power Rangers episode, though. Christmas with Pretty the Cranks. The best movie we've watched. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, it is, of course, the Christmas season here in real America. And we are... <laughs> Sorry, I'm really... I, I actually feel really bad about that joke. I apologize. <laughs> um, but yes, Merry Christmas. I've been Britain. <laughs> and by that, you mean real America being the Titanic because you're both visiting me right now. Right, exactly. We have We're all in the together. crocodile sub. We're not mm-hmm. all in the crocodile sub. I loaned no, them we're a couple in the of dinghies. They're, they're, they're around. Schrodinger's crocodile sub. <laughs> the sequel boys may or may not be in the crocodile sub. Right. I feel like at some point I complained about the fact that we the crocodile sub inside joke was too insular, and I think we've just steered harder into it. Like I think <laughs> yeah. we've just made it even more like every episode. There's no there's no like explanation of where this is coming from. I think at this and point, we bring it up every time. It's more a part of our lore than <laughs> Mr. Bond. I bet I bet if you go Alex, what movie was that in? Octopussy, and yeah, it lasts Octopussy. like fifteen you- seconds. <laughs> I bet if you look on the trivia for that movie, it's like, this is a reference to the popular podcast, Here Come the Sequels. <laughs> it it uh, foresaw the podcast. Um, but yes, Alex, thank you for welcoming us into your home, um, your your sunken hearth and home. Uh, and I, lo- I love the decor. Alex, tell us a little bit about the decorations you've put up here to celebrate the festive season. I like Whoa. the use of kelp. Well, you know, I got I got just super jazzed because it's Christmas time, and you know, it's it, sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to to get the electricity working. Sometimes you're on minimal mm. power. Being in a crocodile sub, you just need functionality. So yeah, there's just a bunch of kelp. Yeah, but you did kill several anglerfish to decorate the tree, which I I I mean I applaud you. Very Rambo. The tree is a bush. <laughs> the tree is a bush. <laughs> indeed <laughs> it's it's more of a shrub really <laughs> now you would now sadly the titanic didn't set sail at christmas time so they didn't have a lot of sort of you know tinsel laying around oh they probably recovered it all personally i'm just waiting for joseph to be up on a on a boat high above us and to look out over it and go oh look. and then drop a christmas tree Look, I made it. I made a deal with with good old Jimmy Cameron. He came by, and he's he's always he's he's my Santa Claus, really. He just drops by and, and leaves me DVD copies of Avatar every year. <laughs> but he he also got my my fancy crocodile sub set up with with a wonderful VR headset, so I can look around and see all these wonderful Christmas decorations. And then I take it off and and show off the real world. And there's a shrub. Let's talk about the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from 2005, directed by Andrew Adamson. 
It has a 76% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 61% audience score. Haters. <laughs> yeah, um, this uh, is our is our. We are using this to celebrate Christmas and Christmas to get this into the podcast. Uh, we've talked about doing this franchise for a minute, and we will discuss the Christmas element uh, in a moment. But Alex, I, I do want to say I know uh, we didn't. There wasn't a, a lot of room at the proverbial in, uh, but you did manage to squeeze in my buddy. Mark Zuckerberg, he's only he he came down here on his little scuba gear, uh, and he's gonna be heading back up topside. But Mark, why don't you come on over here and and tell us what this movie's about? Hey, well, I'm very proud to be Mark. You need to take the you don't need the snorkel on, buddy. You're, there's air. There's air all around. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> sorry. You know, one of the fish out there was bullying me. <laughs> dig into that mark uh, uh merry christmas why don't you just uh here's 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 a synopsis mark i don't i don't know what to say to you anymore sure uh now let's get this started shall we during the world war ii bombings of london four english siblings are sent to a country house where they will be safe one day lucy can can, can you say the actor names i don't know how to pronounce it yeah i'll say the start over do this beginning sentence okay one day, Lucy, Georgie Henley, finds a wardrobe that transports her to a magical world called Narnia, called Narnia. After coming back, she soon returns to Narnia with her brothers, Peter, William Mosley, and Edmund, Skander Keynes, and her sister Susan, Anna Popplewell. There they join the magical lion Aslan, Liam Neeson, in the fight against the evil white witch Jadis, Tilda Swinton. Is she named after my favorite character from The Walking Dead? Probably, Mark. Uh, well, you know what, Mark? Thank you. And I do want to say, uh, I know I always give you a little guff. It's been an odd adjustment learning to live together. But uh, we really are happy to have you on the podcast. And uh, thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Mark. Happy Honda days. And there's that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> he... what a delight that, Mark. He really is. Now, let's just quickly close the pressurized door so his bathysphere can get back up. I don't know why he has a snorkel and a bathysphere. I guess he's over uh, cautious. It's okay. I've, I've got I've got a very I've got a very I've got a very very small dinghy tied to the crocodile sub. We're we're like a, a couple hundred feet underwater. He's just sitting up there. He's just yeah. up there. You know. Hope one, hope one of those big daddies doesn't get him. Uh, <laughs> is it okay if I go first with best and worst? I gave him a flip phone. I think we're fine. Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I thought you were about to ask if it was okay for you to reference Bioshock on this. Uh, <laughs> like that's ever stopped me <laughs> from making esoteric references. Um, yeah, that, that's the one thing he needs to ask for. That's where we draw the for. line. Do you think, is it how too inside? You? Is it a little too inside baseball? I don't know how many... I don't know how many gamers <laughs> listen to the podcast. There are only gamers, Britain. I don't know if we've really uh, overlapped with the IGN crowd. Um, is that is that our new uh, uh, the caption for the podcast? Is here come the sequels? We're made for gamers. Made for gamers. <laughs> By gamers for gamers. Really. Here come so, the sequels. Big. 
as gamers, let's talk about the movie uh, Chronicles yes. of Narnia, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Go ahead, Britton. <laughs> yeah, there is a video game of it. It was fun. Yeah. So this movie, uh, I, I want to give two codicils to my uh, discussion of the, the film forthcoming. One is that I've never actually read the books. I think I read The Horse and His Boy, um, but I've never read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. So any changes or anything, don't bother me, and I don't know if they're there. But also, uh, this has the distinction of being one of the most important movies in my life, weirdly. Um, I saw this on New Year's Eve during the day when I was about 17 in a theater. And it was like one of those watershed moments for me where it just... And I had seen Lord of the Rings. You know, I I definitely loved... Like, I liked movies, but I was so in the theater thing in high school. This movie somehow just kind of yanked me by the collar into to movies and into thinking about movies differently. And I don't know exactly what it was about it, but um, it's a movie that was so important to me for a long time. And not too, too long ago, I rewatched it and I, I, I saw the, the cracks, you know, it was the kind of experience where it's like reuniting with a friend from high school and going, Oh, we still totally get along. We'll totally catch up again. But our friendship is mostly based in nostalgia, remembering the great times you had and we still get along. But, you know, our individual lives have, have we we wouldn't be such close friends if we met today. And that's kind of how I am with this movie. I still love it. So a lot of what I'm going to say is based in just how much I remember loving it. Although a lot of it I do, I think, still does work genuinely and works on me. Um, so with that long preamble, uh, I'll do I'll be fairly brief. I'm going to say my best thing. I'm just going to go with the music. I really like the score. It's very dreamy. It's uh, also Not fair. fair. Not <laughs> oh, did fair. I, did I take yours? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I could do a different thing. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think it's very dreamy and epic. And it, it, it it's very, I don't know. It plays with, with different styles. Um, and, and I think, well, not different, not like. I don't know anything crazy, but I do. I, I just think it's a really beautiful score, and the credits have a couple of songs that I really like, including "Wonderkind" by Alanis Morissette, which is great. And Imogen Heap did one. Um, yeah, even just down to like the little Narnian lullaby that that Tim displays. I think the music is throughout the movie great. As for a worse thing, it I have a couple of little quibbles. There's a line where Susan says it's the McCready instead of it's Mrs. McCready. Which that felt weird to me and kind of pushed. <laughs> um, I don't like the oh Johnny, oh Johnny forties tune they play when they're doing hide and seek. That's like a weird like it's kind of it's a fun song, but it's just kind of a weird moment in the movie. Um I think the the overall thing that I'll I'll point out is that I think this movie really wants to be Lord of the Rings. And yeah. that is it's not a bad thing to want to be. And I we'll we'll talk about the big battle. I like it, but the more I, as I've gotten older and rewatched the movie and rewatched Lord of the Rings, I'm like, oh, this this movie filmed in New Zealand. Andrew Adamson is from New Zealand, so that's part of it. But like, this movie clearly is inspired by Lord of the Rings and wants to be Lord of the Rings, and it's it can be hard, I think, to shoehorn the Narnia story into a Lord of the Rings type experience. Um, I, I know people who are devotees of the book who had a bigger problem with the movie for that reason. It didn't hit me in the same way, but as I've gotten older, I've started to go. I don't, okay, some of this feels a little pushed, but nothing in the movie really just, like, bothers me, so. Yeah, I will uh, 
jump on that because I, I'm I'll go ahead and say that's my worst thing. Same same way. I don't. I watched this movie when it came out back in the day, and I when I would have watched any movie and just been kind of like that was fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and processed and unless I like totally fell in love with it, would have just processed and moved on. Um. Uh. Revisiting it now, I I think that was my overwhelming feeling. Um, was that it was it was hard for me to really get into because I felt like there was so much of that going on with echoing the Lord of the Rings vibe. Um, I think especially with the in battle, that that that's kind of what they're trying to do. Um, and it's I think it's because like Fellowship of the Ring does not end with. A big epic battle. Yeah, it ends with like a skirmish in the woods, uh, and you, it's not until the end of Two Towers that you get that, and that is a full build up. And those movies, all three of those movies, are longer than this movie, um, so it's kind of like it. It doesn't like it. I don't think it's this cynical, but it does feel like it's trying to get quickly to that feeling of yeah. oh my gosh, here's a big battle with all our favorite characters in danger what's going to happen um you know how are they going to beat the, the kind of big heavies that have been set up how how, how is all that going to work out um so i that i felt that pretty strongly throughout um and had a hard time really like getting invested in it because i think w- whether that was like a oh my gosh we need a lord of the rings because because this was disney originally yes yes, yes. yeah um and I don't know, like it very well could have been Disney saying, um, quick, figure out which one of our properties we can use to make a Lord of the Rings uh, type thing. Or it could have been this was already in the works and maybe there was some um, pressure as executives are like, oh, my gosh, yeah, Lord of the Rings just did really well. Or uh, maybe it was just subconscious. Maybe it was all just like, right. Oh, wow, we really enjoyed that movie. As we're making this movie, we're tending more towards that because we feel like there's similarities the budget was 180 million sure so with a budget that big you better believe we're gonna get an elongated battle scene at the end yeah <laughs> yeah now does that um, fit for uh line the witch in the wardrobe it's question <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so that was my thing it, it just it it did feel like there i i, I there were moments that really felt as if they were trying to set up the big, as if you were really supposed to feel like with Aslan, I think there's a lot of similarities to what they do with Gandalf um, and what you feel when Gandalf comes back uh, in two towers. And it's like, Oh my gosh, he's returned. Um, but it, it happens over the span of 30 minutes in this movie or, or right. so. Um, and also that's pulling from some very, I, I guess probably similar, uh, ideas that Tolkien had in his mind when he was writing Lord of the Rings, although he was very adamant that it, there was no metaphor in Lord of the Rings uh, could be debated whether or not that's again, subconsciously may not right. be true, but um, that's, that's like a whole nother purpose that CS Lewis had for it in the books. And, and it feels like the movie's very much trying to turn that into more of a big hero dies and returns thing. I don't know. Uh, it was hard for me to really get impacted by the emotional moments because I was thinking that in the back of my mind of were they trying to is that is that just them trying to replicate this other thing from Lord of the Rings Um, again fairly or not it was very hard for me to shake that Um, 
I was going to say my best thing is the music. Uh, Harry Gregson Williams. I don't know if we mentioned the composer. Yeah, great. Score, and he's great. Uh, he's done other things. I can't think off the top of my head what else he's done. Um, But he's done other good stuff. Didn't he uh, do... I was I was actually getting X-Men Origins Wolverine vibes from the score, and I think he did that. Maybe? He just composed Shrek. Shrek. Well, yeah, because the director of this, which I also don't know if we mentioned, did Shrek and Shrek 2. Yes. Um and so. I, I I will I will blame this movie in the best possible way for why Shrek 3 ended up the way that it did. Sure. <laughs> I'd rather have this movie than Shrek 3. Like a good Shrek 3. Yes. Cuz I've got two What is the I've, I've got two good Shrek movies. I don't so, I, I'm good. <laughs> this is the this is what Adam Andrewson Adam Andrew Adams. Andrew Adams. Andrew Adamson yeah. did after is Say that, that the idea like he, fast. he he went and did this because in after doing Shrek 2 yes like specifically like that's why he okay yeah well, gotcha. um, we I probably talked about that back when, we did, when we did Shrek the third I think it was like there was a story by credit on his end so it's almost like uh, he's oh, going yeah, yeah. you're right guys I'm gonna go do this other thing that's probably gonna be much better here let me <laughs> write a quick outline for you yeah yeah you're, uh, real, you're right we definitely real quick Harry Gregson Williams uh he did compose X-Men Origins he also did The Town and Gone Baby Gone and the oh, the score for the town is <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, so he's got some got the man on fire. I, also, I think Rupert Gregson Williams is his brother. I've I never actually checked so. that, but I assume. Yeah, I would, um, I would also. And Rupert that. did Wonder Woman and some other. Like, yeah, more more well, kind of worked on some of the the Metal Gear games. So, yeah, good. Did he good do composer? No, never mind. That's a different guy. Yeah, yeah. Um. So good stuff from him. Um, if I had to choose a different best thing, uh, I might say I might specifically single out James McAvoy. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. Which is kind of a shame because he's not in as much of it as I think I remembered. Yeah. Uh, but he's delightful and giving kind of a different performance than he has <laughs> gone on to give a lot in his career. Yes. Um. And it's it's just fun and weird. And it's weird that he's, like, the most recognized... I mean, Tilda Swinton, I guess, is... Right, right. You know, Tilda Swinton. Um, Liam Neeson, but Liam Neeson does not have his face in this movie. Uh, so, James McAvoy feels like the most... Oh my gosh, it's it's him. Yeah. Despite the fact that there's a cast of four child actors, none of, like, all of whom do, I think, a, a solid job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not like watching... None of them grew into being, like, having a Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah style career yeah it's, it's surprising that none of them went on to kind of carve out something i mean they've all done stuff yeah, since then yeah. for the most part except i think the actor for edmund ended up becoming like a political advisor <laughs> but everyone else is still like bouncing yeah. around and yeah peter acting. and i know peter and susan still pop up in like tv shows and stuff yeah. uh, i don't know where lucy is but um, um she was she was supposed to be and i got really excited and then sad she was supposed to be in one of the game of thrones pilots oh, that they yeah. were working on like prequel pilots that cool. when they when game of thrones ended and they were like uh let's do like four different pitches right. and see what happens um she was like attached to one of those and then it, they ended up not going going forward with it um so i don't know what she's doing now but yeah. um yeah so it's it is weird that like there's other recognizable places in this uh we were talking about beforehand um i don't i have already forgotten the actor's name but guy who plays not santa is uh commander mormon from game yes, of thrones uh, james cosmo 
Yes. Great, uh, wonderful actor. Yeah. Which is funny to see. I say so much earlier. This was only six years before. Still, though. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and like, there's a few other people here and there where it's like, oh, I recognize them. Jim, Jim Broadbent. Yeah. Uh, and I was yeah. going to say another Game of Thrones alum. Yeah. The professor. Ray Winstone is Mr. Beaver. Mm-hmm. Which yes. I have things to say about that. Um, but yeah, there's there's but, a lot of things to single out about the cast. Yeah, there there's there's all these like, oh, that's that person, okay. But when you're watching it, the only it feels like it's like not the end of the career for a lot of these people. Yeah, or like an attempt to start a career that never really happened. But I guess that is kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it feels <laughs> like it's like they've already done either already done some of the things they'll best know. I mean, Jim Broadbent. Oh yeah, he'll he'll work know, forever. Kind of, yeah, he, he continues to do big stuff but like i don't know james mcavoy is the one who's like oh this person blew up and it feels like yeah, the rest yeah. of the cast never like grew and and i feel like with a 2005 movie again with an 180 million dollar budget mm-hmm. um you'd expect to kind of see more sure of that um and obviously it's james mcavoy so like yeah if anyone was going to uh <laughs> jump start into a much bigger career from this then that would make sense that it would be him yeah um, yeah, oh, he's so funny and warm and just wonderful in it. Yeah, I love him in this. Only two years away from Atonement, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> so, uh. yeah, I think uh, for my best thing, I will also, I, I guess, triple down on the score. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it just calling back, I, I think this has slowly changed over time with the podcast because at the beginning, you know, every time we brought up the scores as our, one of our best things, we were like, oh, that's like a sign that the movie's not good. It's like this is like the one thing we have to kind of rely on. Um, and then I think slowly we've gotten more examples of like, no, it's it's really good. And then the score just kind of like comes on top and just like supports everything. Um, and I think this is one of those cases, particularly the main theme for me, like I have I, I almost have more nostalgia for that than the actual film itself, which is sure. kind of weird. I remember seeing this with my family back in the theater. I was like the <laughs> the target demographic for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like that that main Narnia theme, like when they when they're charging right before the battle starts, like perfect. Um, and it makes a return in the sequel in a wonderful way. So I'm I, I will once again I will I I will go ahead and build up my my case. For when I get on my soapbox about Prince Caspian. We've all been duped. The movie's great. Um, but yeah, the score is absolutely wonderful. And it's it's epic when it needs to be. It's it's um kind of uh smaller and more intimate and you know, it, like it works, it works all over. Uh my worst thing is going to be kind of centering around the, the problem that we've been discussing and i think that's kind of the uh the scope of the movie versus how c.s lewis has set up this world um because i think the one thing that i felt was missing with just how epic and big the movie was is not really all that much world building it's not right. like lord of the rings where we get fully established mm-hmm. cultures it's more just people drink tea there's animals that talk that's there's a flute um like (laughs) like that it's it's very simple and i think that's that's perfectly fine because Mm -hmm. this this story is primarily for kids but it it works well in a a family film context um 
But I think given how big it's trying to be, and this movie is two and a half hours, like it's trying to compete with larger big budget films, I think there's there's kind of a, a simplicity that is, it's not quite hurting the film, but it's a, it's a little distracting, I, I think is the best way I can put it. Um, I don't know how you would fix that because like the, the book is, is kind of set up to be more simplistic, like, like yeah. that's just the way it's, it's written, which is perfectly fine. Um, and I actually, if I'm remembering the book correctly, and I read all of these, I think like 15 years ago, something like that. I remember this being a very faithful adaptation. They basically just lengthened the action scenes. It's kind of like the yeah. situation with the Hobbit where the battle of the five armies in the book, Bilbo gets knocked out and misses basically all of it. Yeah. Um, and I remember that I think particularly for the end, I think the book just follows Aslan, Lucy and Susan as they go in and free everyone who's been frozen by the witch and then they come back and the battle's almost over i i want to say that's the case gotcha. um i could be wrong like i said it's been a while um but i i think in terms of a big big uh movie studio approach to this i think this is overall pretty well handled i mean it, there are problems like we said but um yeah it'll be interesting to get into it i i really enjoyed it i had a good time watching this I'm I'm glad that we revisited this. Me too. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> feel like because, like I said, when I when I first saw the movie, I I, I think I'd only seen like the BBC miniseries where people are walking around in giant like mm-hmm. giant weird beaver costumes, and it's so strange and bizarre. How, is it good? I would you recommend it? <laughs> I I saw it like in school when I was like in fourth grade. Yeah, so okay. I don't There's remember. Like, 2d animation overlaid on it i think maybe yeah i and i remember like aslan looking cool because he was like an animatronic lion yeah but yeah everything else i just remember it being like again a man with like makeup and like big buck teeth in his in his lip with like beaver ears and in a big like like it looked like a mascot or something um it was jarring you know, and, we were talking uh, about we we're talking about country bears beforehand. <laughs> the country bears look like living creatures compared to this, as I recall. <laughs> but um, that's, that's actually terrifying. a good that's a good segue. I so this Oscar this movie won an Oscar for makeup. Uh, great Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero, who worked on Game of Thrones or Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, yeah, um, beautifully. And I really, really like the creature effects in this movie. I think the movie is yeah. pretty good about balancing the when the minotaurs are digital and when they're physical yeah. you can pretty clearly tell but in the moments where they're digital i'm like no that makes sense they're doing a big axe swing but like there's when they're just physical creations they look great <laughs> like, oh yeah yeah with with all of the animals like the talking animals there's a cartoonishness to them looking at them now 16 years later sure um but well, they're I, I like they they fit and they and they're they're well realized enough that yes. it makes the world come alive with like okay they, these are the characters that we're dealing with and this is just like what they look like as yeah. opposed to like like the, I think again talking about the Hobbit um how the Hobbit movies really diverge into being very cartoonish from starting from that foundation of the Lord of the Rings world and that's very jarring because it's like oh the Lord of the Rings world is very realistic and there's tons of great makeup and effects and physical yeah. and practical stuff. And of course there's CGI, but it's so well blended. And then 
as the Hobbit movies get more and more to the point where they're entirely realizing this through animation, it's jarring versus here it's okay, you you're getting used right away to what this looks like and yeah. it still holds up and stylistically and from a design perspective. Yeah. I think a good uh, comparison is actually the uh, m- most recent Lion King movie, which I I, I know mm. everyone like just universally seems to have rejected that movie, um, which I think is perfectly fine. Um, but like <laughs> the special effects in that are top notch, and it, it's yeah. certainly like oh yeah, you know in in fifteen years since since Lion the Witch and I'm I'm just comparing these because they have talking lions, um, right? But <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of uh, digital animal creatures. Um, but yeah, Tyler, I think this does a good job in a way that that doesn't because that is trying to be like super hyper realistic with how the creatures look, but they're supposed to talk and, you know, emote. And that's just very jarring. And it's, it's a a weird approach. Whereas with this, I feel like there's a very fine balance. They strike where no, they don't always look super great. I mean, the special effects are kind of a mixed bag a lot of times, but it never really took me out of it because I, once again, it's it's a family fantasy film. Like it wasn't, I, I don't know. I, I felt like all of the design elements struck the right chord in terms of not going too far in terms of detail or being overly serious or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, no, they clearly thought about this and put a lot of effort into it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. and I'll, uh, for a you know movie made sixteen years ago, some more similar to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it, a lot of these effects hold up. There's some hinky mm-hmm. green screen in there. I was gonna say, I think my main complaints were just green screen elements. I think most of the it, creatures yeah. themselves, when they're animated, yeah. Aslan still looks pretty darn good. He looks wonderful. Yeah, and like I, I know that they sometimes they had like a blend where Aslan there are some scenes where like the kids have to like touch his mane or when Susie and Lu- uh, Susan and Lucy are riding him where there is a physical Aslan Susie and Lucy Susie and Lucy <laughs> there's a there's a a physical Aslan prop there mm-hmm. he's like slightly just like his head or his back or something so it's sometimes a blend I know James McAvoy like he and he has this great prosthetics with the horns and the nose and all the hair but then his his legs from somewhere on his hips down were green screen, obviously, to put the yeah. hose on. Um, but a lot of that just blends really naturally. And with the wolves, some of them are digital. Some of them are actual, like, dogs they brought onto the set. Like, they kind of knew, I think, in this when they needed to go, okay, this in this shot, this creature can be a physically realized makeup character. And in this scene, they've got to be digital but in a way that doesn't feel jarring like and something for, i don't know i feel like there are some 90s movies where you go that is sudden i'm suddenly watching a weird cartoon model when two minutes ago i was seeing yeah. this this animatronic i i was just happy that in the scene where the the um the frozen river breaks apart and all the water's yeah. rushing i'm just glad that one of the beavers wasn't stuck in a barrel and was bouncing from side to side <laughs> Because that would have yeah. really taken me out and ruined the sure. experience. That I mean, that would have just been the dumbest idea you could think of. Think I fell asleep during that part. Um, <laughs> not of not of Narnia. Um, uh, I do, I do want to say though, because you know that you mentioned that um, that yeah, I think the effects where the effects don't hold up are mostly in like portraying action. Sure. of some sort because that that one in particular it looked like they were filming 
I, I don't know exactly what it would have been. It looked like it was a miniature or like some somehow they they recreated yeah. what this would have looked like realistically and it did not mesh very well with the like go, jumping back and forth between the big ice lake that was all probably effects and kind of um obviously full of talking animals and stuff but then this waterfall breaking apart looked very realistic right <laughs> i, I it, almost as if they just like went and found one and shattered it <laughs> and filmed it <laughs> like the 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 icicles on it and stuff breaking apart looked great yeah. and then it i felt like that didn't blend very well and i think there were a handful of things like that where the like especially in the battle there's quite a few where things don't quite mesh uh as they're trying to yeah um show like i think a lot of the time when the human actors are doing something that then has to be animated in some way that that becomes difficult i think i think that that def i definitely noticed it and again i ultimately like that that final battle sequence there's a lot of cool moments in it Aureus the centaur does pin cushion a minotaur with his two swords yes uh which is pretty awesome and there's no blood in the battle scene which i thought was was pretty neat and but in a way that i feel like fix like is what this movie should be like i i wouldn't want to see a bloody version yeah (laughs) well i i think the movie's r-rated yeah the movie is able to easily compensate for that with the effect of the witch freezing people i think people just kind of being Frozen is it, I, I get are that is it stone is that stone, yeah. yeah okay um like the, just the image of everyone just kind of be being horrified in their last moment as they're frozen I think that yeah. kind of substitutes any sort of you know we we kind of have to skirt around um being super yeah, right. graphic or anything because yeah. it's a PG movie well and and it looks the effect I remember on the statue Tumnus uh, melting away into real Tumnus is so good yeah. like his scarf falls. That's first, a nice touch, yeah. Which is a really cool bit. Like they do some really nice stuff there, but yeah, the the human actors in the action sequences, uh, it, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of like, uh, like slowly, it, yeah. In a better way than this, it kind of reminds me of some of the fight scenes on Supergirl, where the fight choreography is get Melissa Benoist up on a wire and then bring her back down, but not too fast, and she'll <laughs> air punch uh, a man. <laughs> It did uh-huh. come off to me a little bit like they were doing quick cuts to try and work around some kind of tricky choreography, I guess. Yeah. Though, I, I will say, I wasn't taken out by any of the human action no. towards the end. The one, I, there was one part, and it's when uh, Tilda Swinton, like, thrusts her two swords at um, Peter, and he does, yeah. like, a matrix, like, right. he, he bends yeah. his back backwards, um, so he's, like, sliding underneath the swords, and I'm like, that... That shot lasted too long. That is very silly. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit much. And similarly, okay, Spider Man, when, like, when uh, Ed- Edmund comes down to uh, break her her magic wand, yeah, there's some like cut, 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 cut. And again, part of that is like we've got kids. We're not gonna put them through all this fight training and stuff. This isn't Hana. Like we're just gonna kind of we've got we've got Harry score to help carry us through. <laughs> it's not and as distracting. Lot, yeah, and then a lot of the moments in that that are more dynamic and complicated. They can do with digital characters. They can have a cheetah just like tackling something. And yeah. A rhino. I love when the rhino and Aureus like look at each other and like witness me, brother. And then they just <laughs> charge and start knocking people over. Yeah. There's also a great moment when Lucy and Susan show up with Aslan and Tumnus and all the reinforcements and they're charging in and it's, Oh, we're saved. It's okay. And then 
you just see Tum just like push somebody over as he runs past him. Like that's his big <laughs> contribution to the fight. It's like, that's okay. I, I got, I got Gloria. I got this one. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like the, um, the, 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 a lot of the dynamism in that I think comes from the, the music and the, the coolness of like, now there's Griffins dropping rocks on people. There's a Phoenix sure. suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just a bear. Like it's, it's kind of wild, but in a way that I really enjoy. And I think they do a great job designing all of the white, witches ugly. Yeah. Like there's some like bird lizard things with like these tattered hoods, like they're evil nuns or something. And there's like tapping their sticks on the ground. They're one of those creatures. I, it's probably not the same one. Cause uh, Prince Gaspian takes place. Mm. The, the, there's a time gap. Um, right. But uh, there's a creature like that that shows up and is very, very creepy in the next one. Yeah. They, I mean, they bring some... back that design. When the camera lingers on some of these, you're like, that's a, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Andy. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, w- what did we think of our of our kid cast? I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't like Peter. I think <laughs> that's where I, that's the realization I came to. Not the actor. Like, uh, sure. Honestly, that's sure. fine. Um, but I realized and and so I I have read this whole series once before. Um, probably back in like elementary school. I didn't mention that before, but I I've read the series and I remember as it goes along, like the idea is, is that the older kids kind of drift away and they, I don't know if they like forget or, or just like they move on and actually have like real lives. I believe. Um, I think so. Yeah. The idea is that Aslan basically explains to them the real world implications of what they're learning in Narnia. And they're supposed to go live their lives with that knowledge. And that's kind of, we, the books are interesting because it has like a slowly rotating cast. Like we get like Mm -hmm. a couple of new folks, every book, and then they're kind of built to be the protagonists of the next book. And then you get to the last book and kind of everyone just comes back. Yeah. Most everyone. Yeah. And, that one gets and you get a lot weird. of like Peter and Susan uh. go into a zoo and pointing at the lions to their to another kid and being like, you know, I know another story about a lion who was pretty cool and he had some <laughs> crazy ideas. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, Peter, I think is the, um, <laughs> I don't, I doubt he was the first, but he is like the archetypal. You're the hero because you're a blonde man. <laughs> yeah. Like that's and, kind of his whole thing. I and again, I don't know like exactly. I I have not read the book recently enough to remember the adaptation and like how it, how much of it is like oh these are direct lines or how much of right. it is paraphrasing what happens. Um, but it feels like early on there's a lot of um, and, and they're all teenagers and preteens or kids yeah. even. So like it, it's not weird that they're mean to each other. Mm-hmm. Um. But the stuff around Edmund is pretty, like, it's all very direct in a way that isn't really balanced out by them having more fun. Like, we get a scene, like, every scene where they seem to be kind of having fun immediately and, like, dovetails into, like, oh, this is all horrible and we all are mean to each other and uh, we all blame each other for everything. Um and there's not really a to me there's a bit of a disconnect with that going through this the story. I feel like with the story, like you said, it, it is 
they get handed weapons and they become heroes because they're told that they should be the heroes because right. they're humans in this world. Um, and then that that just becomes like, okay, now they're good at this because they're kind of demanded to be. And I feel like, I mean, the, obviously they do have the reconciliation with Edmund later. Um, so that's kind of nice. But I, I don't know that that really bears out from an actual character progression perspective. Yeah. Uh, and so that, I think sat a little distastefully with me the whole time was that Peter was like mean to Edmund and didn't believe Lucy and uh got in fights with Susan and then like you said he he got a sword and yeah. he was the hero now. Yeah. Uh and then he pointed the sword at people for a while. There's you know what I, I remember I think the moment was he kills Malgrim? Malgrim, yeah. Malgrim. I'm, Michael I'm Madsen, like right? Yes, Michael Madsen, which is strange. Is it Michael um, Madsen? It is. I forgot about. I forgot I to mention did that. Not when I did not know that. The um, and I'm pronouncing it like a Lord of the Rings character, and not just like oh, Malgrim. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Malgrim the, uh, the dread, the dower, the dread. Yeah, <laughs> the dower. Yes. Um, but he attacks Peter, and Peter kills him because he falls on the sword. Yeah. that peter is holding and it's not really shown it's just like you see the attack and then they're like and i think that's supposed to be my assumption is that that's a very direct thing in the book where it's like oh my gosh the wolf attacked peter is peter okay and then they walk sure. over yeah it's, it's built to be ambiguous did. yeah but in the movie it's very well i don't think they're gonna kill peter like that and the yeah. wolf stopped moving like it doesn't translate very well when they're trying to make that a reveal or a a moment it, it's, um, it's almost like we do need a a shot of the wolf on the ground like cut and like bleeding yeah <laughs> it's like i know i recognize Baratheon. we can't maybe we cut off his head <laughs> <laughs> attack of the clones got away with that with Django fett let's do it yeah yeah um yeah. It's, it's shot a little awkwardly and then they're like oh my gosh peter's amazing and it's like well the wolf did just kind of <laughs> like land on him uh, the, well, and that's not a, really planned uh, the attack well peter's uh, method is great he's just like i'm gonna hold the sword out in front of me <laughs> that way when the wolf stupidly just charges at me i yeah. he'll immediately get stabbed yeah yeah i definitely th- this time uh, this watch i definitely had the reaction that I think that there's a lot of like this mo Peter is trying to be really cool or the leader or the like mm. I am the adult and it is not working a lot. <laughs> but then I went, I think that is I don't I think it they kind of backed into it, right? I think like the movie was like, oh, and here's Peter's like brother moment or his hero moment, but a lot of it felt kind of ineffectual. Yeah. Because that's Peter's arc, is that he is trying to be the dad of the family. Mm-hmm. He's trying to fill that role, and he can't do it um, until he kills a wolf, and then he <laughs> is great at it. But I was like, a lot of that kind of worked for me. I think William Mosley has some really nice moments in the movie. Um, there's a part where when they first get to the camp, and he's talking to Aureus, and he, and he just takes out his sword and holds it up and goes, we're here to see Aslan. And I was like, why did you take the sword out, <laughs> Peter? Look what I have. I want to <laughs> see the big cat, please. Santa Claus told me to do this. <laughs> But he, I, I think the actor who probably, I, I think Anna Popowell as Susan gets the least to do in the movie. Yeah. And I like her. I think she does some nice stuff, but like Susan doesn't really have an arc. She's just, they, there are some nice character moments with her. Like I like how they work in these things about her being 
the pragmatic one who's kind of bossy. Like they kind of work that in. But like really it's Edmund and Lucy's show. Like they're the ones that get the meat. And the, Brit- both those kids are great. Britain, do you know how the series ends? That Susan put on makeup so she can't go back to Narnia. Yes, that's the, that's the <laughs> I know that's that the part. Reason. Um, I think it makes sense that Susan kind of gets put on the back burner. Based, yeah. If this is supposed to be a series that theoretically would have made it all sure. the way to the end. Right, right. I, I think the idea of just setting her up is kind of like, no, she's just like a very solid kind of stubborn character that doesn't change a whole lot. And, and she, you know, she's like you said, the pragmatist. I think that's kind of handled like I, I was seeing a lot of like. I feel like they're trying to seed stuff with her that way when you get if you get to mm. the the end, then it all that connects. Sure, um, sure. Okay. To be honest, I didn't have a problem with any of the children. I actually thought they had really good chemistry with each other. They felt oh, yeah. all like siblings to me. And the one thing I kind of uh hooked on to this time was that opening scene during the bombings where Peter and he's having to run back in and grab Edmund when yeah. Edmund's Edmund is seemingly just trying to do he he just wants the picture of his father because he's afraid the house is gonna blow up. Um but I think that kind of firmly establishes just the amount of stress that Peter is under and having to keep everyone together and them all being shipped off. And there's a wonderful moment that they don't really get into where Peter looks over when they're in the train station after his mom is like, you have to take care of them. You are now in charge of the family. Like you must do this. I know what you're talking and about. he sees a bunch of soldiers about to be shipped off to war. And it's almost like he has a chip on his shoulder of like, I should be going with them. Right. And now or I'm like, st- I could I'm, be that. Yes. I'm stuck having to run the family now instead of going and doing what my father's doing, which their father's not dead. Right. He's just off. No, in the war. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, cause we never see the father in any of these. So I, I didn't know. Um, but I, I thought all of that kind of worked well with him kind of being incompetent and mean to everyone. I think that's sure. well set up. No, I, I, that is a, a really nice bit of editing where they managed to achieve a lot about his character with that one little yeah. insert of him looking and seeing some soldiers. Cause there's a lot you can immediately read into that as an older brother myself the line your brother's got you well looked after when mr beaver says it after they get lucy out of the river literally every time i see this movie my throat gets really tight literally every time um which leads me to talk about mr beaver voiced by ray winstone he's awesome in this movie i think he's so much fun you know it'd be better britain if he had a russian accent (laughs) about to say the exact same thing (laughs) you know it is so nice to talk about ray winstone in a movie that uh, uses him well and he gets to be good in it on this podcast because we've otherwise covered him in black widow and cats and indiana jones and crystal skull ray winstone shouting they don't even know about the prophecy should be the most irritating thing i hear in a movie and it's hilarious (laughs) when he had like he's he's what I like about Ray Winstone at his best is that he is this very, like, blue-collar workman, you know, British, just like, what are you talking about? Like, he's just a guy. And I think that's worked so well for Mr. Beaver. Um, I think it's—and Don French is Mrs. Beaver, and they're really, really fun together. I don't know if they recorded in the studio together or not, but, like, it sounds like they're on—I know they weren't, but it sounds like they are on set. Yeah. Just bouncing and improving, and there's a lot— the. This movie was also nominated for for sound mixing and the way like they they are interacting with the the kids even though they are not they never actually interacted with the kids is so impressive. 
I think Andrew Adamson and someone else were on set giving feeding the lines and playing the characters for the kids' benefit. Was it Sean Gunn's brother? <laughs> Probably was. <laughs> so good. Um, but uh, it, it was Martin Scorsese, actually. I, was, <laughs> I don't even know about the prophecy. I was going to say he was Badger. doing it. He was my best mate. The Sean Gunn's brother was doing it in between seasons of Gilmore Girls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But I just I'm um this was one of the movies that made me a big fan of of Ray Winstone and I just I, I find him a lot of fun in it and he gets his own little bit of chain mail with a little bow and arrow <laughs> that he never really uses. Quick correction. It's cute. I was saying Sean Gunn's brother. It's Sean Gunn. I meant James but, Gunn's brother. I, I was Sean also Gunn. trying to figure out why <laughs> it, it was James Gunn on set <laughs> who was doing the. <laughs> In between seasons of Gilmore, right. Gilmore Girls, not because he was in Gilmore Girls, he kept talking about his the script for a. He kept talking about the script on set. He wouldn't shut up about it. It was for this Dawn of the Dead remake, and he was getting this this young whippersnapper called Snyder to do it. He he wouldn't <laughs> shut up about it. You know, I love I love that movie with uh, Colin Hanks' dad, Castaway. That's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> should we Should we start doing that now? Can we look up the relatives <laughs> of everyone and just refer to them that <laughs> just way, real quick? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I liked him a lot. I really, uh, Rupert Everett has a brief little part as a fox. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. Which was a little distracting because all I was hearing was Prince Charming. <laughs> sure. Sure. I did not know that was Michael Madsen as, as Malgram. That's very interesting. Malgram has one of my favorite lines in the movie where he, they're standing out, the wolves are outside the, uh, uh, the beaver's dam and he looks like right in the camera and he goes, take them. I think it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so awesome. Uh, obviously Liam Neeson, come on, he's great, he's sweet, he's powerful. Uh, but how good is Tilda Swinton in this movie? Uh-huh. Yes, um, uh, she's like so like she's taking it so seriously, exactly as she should. Like she is really living in it. She is almost too good a villain, and by that I mean don't kill her at the end of this film. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that she adds and the movie works in a lot of ways, but she adds so much to it. Like, I think she's I don't know. She manages to hit all of the like, we all are so clearly aware that she's a villain, but I totally get why Edmund is buying into it. Um, She kills a butterfly at one point in a great little effect that's really good. Yeah, I think she's so intimidating and ethereal and weird, which is what Tilda Swinton always is in a great way. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's so great in this. Alex, wouldn't wouldn't she have come back theoretically in the the one that's a prequel? The the is that magician's nephew. I yeah. I can't remember if how much the white witch is in that, or if she's even in it at all. I I okay. And that that is one thing I wanted to touch on. We can get back to the actors because I do want to talk a little bit more about Lucy and Edmund. Um, mm-hmm. but I. It's interesting that they start with the second book, right? I mean, yeah. it, well, makes, it makes sense in terms of we're following the journey of the Pevensey children, yeah. and that's kind of I, the through line, and the first book is not about that. I believe that's publication order. Is it? Is okay. The, there's a whole thing about this. I've lost my phone. I'm going to look it up. There's a whole thing about this where, like, the chronological order and the publication order are completely different, basically. Okay. For the the book series as well. And then they were like, okay, we'll do the publication order because that's like how the ideas developed. Yeah. Um, well, I think the I mean, third continue book talking is... about actors and I will. Well, language of the word was also the most well known, I would say like of those books. Yeah. So probably the easiest to green light. 
But I think like the third book is set between Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and Prince Ca- Like, I mean, or it's set within Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but it's between them being children and them being adults. Right, it's like right, when they're right. running Narnia. Um, yeah. Yes, okay. So it's it's a weird the way that the, the series is structured is odd to me. And it feels like C.S. Lewis was the, just like, I feel like writing another book. I'm just going <laughs> to write another book. Yeah. The publication order is Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, Don Treader. Then it would have been Silver Chair for the movie, apparently. And then The Horse and His Boy. Then The Magician's Nephew, which is like the prequel starring Jim Broadbent's character starring the prequel about the character that Jim Broadbent is playing in this movie. Yes. And then The Last Battle, the final one. But the actual chronological order would be The Magician's Nephew, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, then The Horse and His Boy. Yes. Then Prince Caspian, Don Treader, and then The Silver Chair. Yeah. So yeah, basically The Horse and His Boy bounces in between somewhere. And that's how they, like somewhere along the way, the publisher started numbering them that way. So that's like why this is all insane. It's because they were all published in that other order. And then the actual publisher was like actually we're going back to this uh was do we so. know if it was c.s lewis's intent to is the publication order like the way he wanted it or do, do we know so uh f- i'm on narniaweb.com right now by the way if anyone wants to follow along um <laughs> i mean it's a shame that we can't kind of look at this the way that we look at like the star wars movies because we don't have them all but it would be yeah. interesting to go does it make sense to watch them in chronological yeah. order or does it make more sense to watch like the main series, then the prequel stuff, then the last movie? Cause like people love talking about how you kind of mishmash the watch order for star Wars in that way. Uh, okay. All right. All right. We got, we've got quotes here. So Harper Collins, who's the one who, who either changed it or I think maybe they're the ones who in the U S did, I don't know. Like they, they basically are the reason that it's standard to number it chronologically. They said they were renumbered in compliance with the original wishes of C.S. Lewis, but then later they expanded that to say C.S. Lewis wanted the um, magician's nephew to be read first. And then what he actually said is apparently, at one point uh, in 1957, said uh, the series not planned beforehand. Basically, a a a boy was writing in asking if he should read them chronologically and his mother was like, no, you should read them the way they were published. And C.S. Lewis said he's, he agrees with her mother, his mother, that they should read them in the publication order because that's how he developed it. But then he also said, maybe it doesn't matter (laughs) at the end of the letter. So, (laughs) I mean, yeah, uh, it's, it sounds like the books were written within such kind of quick succession of each other that it's not like a huge, kind of difference in like writing style or anything it's it, i mean it's not like something you get with like the star wars prequels where it's like right. it's made so long after the original movies the style is completely different like it feels very jarring so maybe you want to watch them in a different way i don't know i watch game of thrones organized by character now i would <laughs> love that can, can we I watch want, i want that recut it no. gives me a headache to think about it watch no no watch game of thrones backwards <laughs> Because then if it's like, we're watching Tyrion's story. Don't look at John. Don't look at John. It's not It's not his turn yet. Game of Thrones. The Tenet. Watch. <laughs> uh, well, when they eventually do do a Game of Thrones reboot, Christopher Nolan can, can run it. <laughs> and just 
Or he can do the three-eyed Raven prequel movie. There you go. There you go. Um, Which, for some reason, has a lot of really excellent hand-to-hand action that takes place in dreams. Well, Killian Murphy Uh. is wonderful as the Raven. And as I'm saying this, I'm sad it's not real. (laughs) Sure. But I... I, uh, uh, I want to talk about Santa, <laughs> who is in this movie and is basically uh, their armorer. Uh-huh. Um, be- uh, Alex, is Santa in the book? I believe so. Yeah. Why okay, else would he would be, be in this movie? So crazy, if not. That is such an off-the-wall yeah. choice. It has to come from the book. Yeah. No, it, it, I, I'm 100% sure it is. Okay, uh, yeah. Like, I, I have memories of that. Because I remember not, not knowing not that. Not realizing how jarring it is. Uh, yeah. At least when adapted to a movie, but <laughs> I right. understand that they're, you know, obviously uh, all of this is based on kind of Christian mythology, and and uh, obviously C.S. Lewis like it's very much the intent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is weird that they don't just call him Santa Claus. Like they're they're trying so hard to be like, uh, Merry Merry Christmas. I I told you he was real. <laughs> I think they call him Father Christmas at some point, don't they? Do they? Because that's, yeah. Br- that's just the British name right. for him. I could be okay. so wrong here. But I think you're right. The okay. told you he was real line is very funny. Um, I And I like that scene. <laughs> the I like... sunglasses float down on Lucy's <laughs> Got him! Because <laughs> I think James Cosmo is, is... I just enjoy seeing him whenever he pops up and stuff. And I think he did a really good job as uh, Battle Santa. Oh, yeah. But he does literally just give them all like magic potions a summoning horn a bow and arrow and a sword <laughs> like go for it and there's a part where he's talking to lucy and he's like battles are ugly affairs and i hope you never have to fight and he gives susan a bow and arrow and she was like what happened to battles are ugly affairs and it kind of chuckles and i wanted him to go <laughs> f him up <laughs> get, get in there susan <laughs> go for it spill sh- their blood he should have leaned forward <laughs> and whispered their women lament <laughs> He leans forward and whispers in her ear, the night is dark and full of terrors. <laughs> well, we were talking before the show about how he's very, this is the second time we've seen uh, uh, James Cosmo give someone a sword with an animal on the hilt. <laughs> so I don't know. Patterns? Who knows? But yeah, yeah can I, he's great. Can I just randomly, unrelated note, connect several dots here? Because uh, I would like to say that Grant Morrison uh comic book author wrote has written several iterations of a comic about a character well it, it's about santa claus but it's a take on santa claus called claus uh, oh that's yeah like santa claus as a the the origins of santa claus as he's uh learning to be santa claus um and he's fighting like krampus and demons and stuff it, it's something it's the kind of thing that i've definitely made fun of before as an idea but reading it it, it works way better uh and grant morrison is an incredible author so they make it work yeah. um christopher nolan klaus may, maybe a killian murphy maybe a uh maybe a kit harrington i don't know i like this i like could, this could talk could talk me into either i just yeah. i just want to speak that into existence <laughs> i would like to read that because uh yeah that that is a concept that i could totally get into um they made that movie that animated movie klaus uh i think last yeah. year the year before that i remember it looked beautiful i remember if nothing else mm-hmm. with uh jk simmons i think was was santa not not related to this but no. also. but yeah also there 
I feel like this. Um, oh, where's going to go? We there's not a whole, whole lot to dig into, but I I was impressed at how much this movie didn't excise the Christian allegory. Um, there's a lot in the Golden Compass movie that is largely erased, which erases a large part of that series purpose. However, that series is more critical of certain institutions and. Narnia is much more of an allegory, is much more of a like, oh, we're using some of those ideas and is a theologian. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a theologian. But I, we're also pointing out, like, there's not that much that's on the nose outside of, I mean, Aslan and the resurrection and Edmund's betrayal. Apart from Aslan saying it is finished, there's not a whole lot that's like, I don't know, they don't have someone saying, I'm going to go deny Aslan two more times. <laughs> <laughs> like... Look, they Britain, don't have Britain. Look, it, it, they set it up perfectly. See, Aslan's a line. You can't have him stretch out into a cross pose like Superman every five minutes. Okay, it just doesn't <laughs> Although, look right. I would have enjoyed a scene where a lion kicks over a bunch of tables at a marketplace. <laughs> um, how did you guys feel? I I continue to feel like the scene where Aslan is killed is effectively dark for a kids movie. Yeah. I, I remember that bothering me when I was a kid. Um, yeah, like they shave his mane off, and it's it's so sad. Yeah. Um, well, it's I think it it works just as well as going back to like Empire Strikes Back. Uh, yeah. How kids are very upset by the revelation that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Or, also, right. Luke that, getting that his hand chopped off. Also, Luke getting his that doesn't help. <laughs> um, but I it think certainly I think it works doesn't Tyler on that level of like it's the kind of thing that a kid would really latch on to and like be upset by and then like be like, Oh my gosh, he's back. This is amazing. Yeah. Yes. No, I think once again, kind of skirting around being super graphic. I think that the, the way the film is paced and the fact that it's really not that long before Aslan comes back. I think that's perfect for kids in terms of like this really dark thing happens, but don't worry, just give it like 10 minutes and it'll be back. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like this movie, it, it doesn't feel like it's pulling its punch. Like, it feels like it's all balanced. Yes. Yeah. I, I would say so. And this is all in, the, once again, this is all in the context of a family film. If this was trying to be like Game of Thrones or whatever, I'd, I would be saying it's pulling its punches. But it's not. And thank goodness it's not because we need a little variety. Not everything can be <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that scene is like super effective. And I think that's kind of the heart of where all the creature design like. Yes just the grotesqueries of all all the the um the the throngs of of soldiers that are just kind of around kind of humiliating Aslan as he's sacrificing yeah. himself it's yeah it's it's yeah it's rough it's a rough and watch they, and they like lean into it. i mean Ginnabrick, uh her little dwarf buddy like cuts off his hair and is like holding it up and they're all like cheering there's like a crazy what in the witcher would be called a i guess they were like uh, the sirens or something where it's like this crazy bat winged thing is just like getting in his face and screeching at him yeah and i was like uh, just hit r1 man take it down with a crossbow come <laughs> on maybe use a dimeridium bomb i don't know whatever you got a pencil but <laughs> a pencil um you played the witcher very differently than i did which is <laughs> assume that i could hit anything at some point with my sword <laughs> just a lot of frantic like a lot of yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much uh I don't think I ever used a bomb on those. Get them underwater, so that's an auto hit. That's what yeah. I liked about that. Yeah. 
What a great game. There is there's a flame thing you can do. Yeah, that helps sometimes. That was always yeah. good. I haven't watched that show. One day I will. Or not. <laughs> but I but yeah, I, I, I found that scene like really effective and then Tilda Swinton selling the heck out of it. Um yeah, I just think it's really good. And also we didn't we mentioned him, but I just want a little more love on Jim Broadbent. He's so sweet. <laughs> He's just I just like him. He can be so cold and imperious in some things, but he can be so sweet and so lovable. He's just a wonderful actor. I'm a big fan. I almost felt like he was a little too sweet. And by mm. that, I just mean like Mrs. McCready is just like the professor cannot be dis- like she is so gung ho about this. And then he shows up. And he's like, no, they're kids. Whatever. It's fine. I'll I'll hang out. I'll ha- yeah. I'm I'm with the cool kids. <laughs> Mrs. Like McCready. A, in Muppet the Treasure kids Island. love my magic wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I saw that wardrobe in a Fortnite dance. <laughs> <laughs> that was the after credit like, scene that we needed. Hey hey Lucy hey Lucy Fortnite me that fire flower potion. Let's I think get this. I think I think Chronicles of Narnia it would be up there on most baffling crossovers Fortnite could announce in yeah. 2021. Yeah, for 2022. Like if they were just like, hey, Aslan's a character you can play in Fortnite now. <laughs> Then, then I think I think that would be like okay, but but Fortnite Fortnite would be like okay, we've got here. Aslan, that's the obvious one, and they'd be uh, and they'd be like Edmund Pevensey coming to <laughs> <Yeah>. Fortnite. <laughs> also, Jim Broadbent, <laughs> the man himself. I I definitely I, I know that in Muppet Treasure Island, it's played as a joke that uh, uh, Sam the Eagle, uh, Mister Arrow, is like he is a raging volcano. Mm-hmm. Captain Smollett, and then Kermit's like, "Hey, everybody! Oh, it's a little dusty. I knew it. He's furious. <laughs> like all of that is just a joke. But in in this, it feels like an unintentional joke where she's like, the professor. Oh my goodness! And he's like, get her some hot chocolate. What are you talking about? Yeah, the probably the wardrobe's magic. I don't care. Look at my kooky clown hair. It's yeah, he's delightful." Um, I did want to circle back because I feel like we focused on Peter and Susan. We didn't talk enough about yeah. Lucy and Edmund. Because um, like you said, Britton, I think they're, I mean, they they are really the protagonists of the film. They are kind of yeah. carrying it. Um, Peter, a lot of Peter's stuff is kind of, it, it almost feels like it's bookending the film right. um, in terms of like his character arc. Um, but yeah, I think casting young actors is hard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it can go severely wrong. And I think this is really, really well cast. And I think, you know, particularly uh, Georgie Henley, like she's just adorable. Yes. And her, her chemistry with James McAvoy, like those scenes mm-hmm. are just just absolutely delightful and very sweet. That scene when he's asking her to come and have tea could be so creepy. And but it's, it's not. not. It's so no, well it's played. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, obviously the turn that he's going to kidnap her and everything for the witch. But like, and that just comes from these two actors are... They have, like I said, they have a great chemistry, and he is so um, uh, guilelessly sweet. Yeah, even though he is attempting guile. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really lovely performance, and I feel like it's a performance where they pretty largely do just let her be a kid. It doesn't feel like a precocious child actor performance. It doesn't feel like the the movie doesn't try to make Lucy wise beyond her years. She's a kid, and like that's that's the point of yeah. her. And Edmund, I mean, that Iskander Keynes is so good at like, I you you do kind of feel for Edmund because you can see that he's so put upon by his older siblings, but he's also just like a little jerk a lot of the times. 
So like I, I think he he walks that line really. It'd be so easy to turn Edmund into just a parody of a snotty brat. Yeah. Um, but I think he really balances it well. Well, the thing that I like with the relationship between all the four kids, I I really like the idea that they all kind of complement each other and that when they're in mm-hmm. sync with each other, like they are a, a wonderful family. Um, yeah. And I like how it's not just like four characters that are exactly the same. Like we just yeah. change the names and nothing else. Uh, like yeah. I, each of them has a distinct enough personality that that I, I think really, really helps. I like when they're playing, it's raining outside, so they're playing a game where they're going through the dictionary, and Susan's like, gastrovascular. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a spelling game. And he goes, is it Latin? And I was like, are they guessing the, the etymology of different words? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, just, just, just good stuff. Yeah. Also, I believe that, um, Shane Ranji, I believe it's his name, who was, I don't think he was Aureus. I think he was the main Minotaur. I think he is like a go-to creature effect. Like you need a big guy. I think he was some of the major orcs. He might've done some stuff in Star Wars. Um, okay. Like, I think he's one of your go-to guys. Just like a imposing presence. I assume the uh, Gungans. <laughs> yeah, he was boss Nass. <laughs> I believe talking about the way the the uh, kids uh, complement each other. I I also own the um like extended edition, and I didn't watch it this time. But how I much longer is it? Not terribly much because there's not a whole lot there. Is it? It doesn't like add in story threads or anything. Okay. But the the bit I do remember, um, adding something is that there's a bit. I think it's after the the big battle where the four kids are together and like kind of decompressing after it. You know, that scene where they all hug at the end of the battle, which I think is a great moment where you have these four kids hugging on the battlefield, I think is very effective. Yeah. And I think it just lives in that moment a little bit longer. I may be placing it mm. differently than it actually is, but it was a little extra moment of these four characters being a family that I remember being like being effective and adding something. But I don't think there was anything like, I don't know, you extra scene with the fox or something where you learn about his gambling addiction. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sure. sure. It turns out Mr. Beaver is just snorting cocaine between scenes. It's just, <laughs> it's just so much. Everything happens so much. <laughs> um, I, I do. Oh, oh go ahead. Tyler. Well, I was just going to say, kind of going off of the kids at the end. Um, that was also a part where the Lord of the Rings comparisons really got to me where they're all being crowned. And I think that highlights the fact that I, I'm not sure how much of it, they might have molded the story to to really make it obvious that it's similar to Lord of the Rings, but I think a big part of it is just the, the book has these moments that mm-hmm. happen that are a lot like Lord of the Rings. Because we haven't even really talked about the fact that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were right. like good friends and like talked about their writings a lot and um, yeah. had different kind of philosophies, but I'm sure came out, came from a lot of the same sources and were talking about a lot of the same things when uh, they were doing writing. So, Yeah. It's interesting. Oh, you have a white that, witch? That's cool. Yeah, I totally have a a black gate, gate, a black gate <laughs> in my book. So, guess you're not the only one who can have a color and a noun. CS. Anyway, I know words. That's like my whole thing. And then CS Lewis is like, "Oh, I've got this wolf named Malgrim." And then uh, Tolkien is like, "Oh, it should be 
Maurigrim. <laughs> uh, I believe if you if you're using your uh, built wor- built in world uh, yes. vocabulary correctly, that I wrote up for you, um, pretty in <laughs> oh pretty good detail. So like, uh, I mean, I just I thought you should follow it. You know, no, no. here's the Mulgrimillium. <laughs> you can uh, learn all about <laughs> his his cousins and and everything. The Mulgrimillium. That's also the name of his game show where he can win a lot of money. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's, that's the Mograbillium. <laughs> well, thanks, J.R.R. Hey, do you ever think we should just use our um, regular names? Nah. <laughs> this is way cooler. <laughs> anyway. No, let's they, go say, they say the full. They... I don't even know what C.S. Lewis's full. Cur- Curtis? That doesn't sound right. Curtis Schwinn <laughs> Lewis. Curtis Schwimmer. <laughs> C.S. I should know C.S. Lewis's name. Uh, this is derailed. But I, Clive Staples. Oh my that's, goodness! Oh my I God. forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew, that's a name. That's Clive a Staples one. Lewis. Okay, you lead I, with that. You don't shorten it to CS. You right. lead with that. Cl- Clive Lewis. Clive S. Lewis. Like what? Where's he was Clive probably, Staples L? Like what? Are you? <laughs> he probably had a moment. Where he was like, I gotta hide my name on myself under a bushel here. I'm already the coolest kid in school. I don't want to intimidate everybody else. <laughs> I really like the idea of him being like. Well, uh, John Ronald Real, real uh, let me tell you, and, and then Tolkien's like, well, Mr. Clive Staples, uh, I believe, and that's just like, that's I every time they, they talk to each other, <laughs> they have to say the poem. And Ian Fleming just walks by, I'm jealous of you both, and then he just keeps walking. <laughs> I'm Ian, my book has a gun in it. Oh, cool, Ian. Um, it's like in take- Mean Girls, they keep looking at each other, like rolling their eyes, like, oh my Hey, Ian. I would I would like to take this moment to say I did look up Aslan Fortnite, um, and all I got was a YouTuber who uh, all their most recent videos are like twenty seconds and aren't even about Fortnite. Uh, and like they're various games, but not Fortnite. Okay. Uh, and the most has like seven views. Um, so I really like the idea that this person was trying to kind of game the system and be like, what, what are the kids like these? What am I going to get the YouTube algorithm with if I put in two popular, all right, Fortnite, <laughs> Aslan, that's going to be the one to really, it... <laughs> those are my keywords. <laughs> and apparently that was not a successful strategy. So yet, yet, not, not until I've raised Aslan Fortnite on here and now they're trying, True, yeah. they're going to blow up. Come on the show, buddy. We'll talk about yeah. uh, whatever. Man, one of these days we're going to just like highlight one of these random people and they're going to be like, oh, actually, in the most improbable circumstance ever, I listened to the podcast and I would right. like to come on. Look, <laughs> if we do enough episodes, it's bound to happen. Surely. Numbers. <laughs> if we continue going until the heat death of the universe, we'll, we'll eventually get, I don't know. Yeah, Markiplier or somebody will roll up. <laughs> I was gonna say like uh, some some sort of like abyssal being at wa- watching the demise of the galaxy. Well, Markiplier works too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, working all those dose. What up, guys? Today on. <laughs> Today on my gaming podcast, I've got Markiplier here. Say hi to the people, Mark, and then uh, and then also I've got uh, the the Devourer of Souls. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, bud, how's it going? 
Oh, pretty good. <laughs> Been playing a lot of uh, Horizon Two: The Forbidden West. <laughs> you guys, see, you guys see the trailer for uh, was that Trek to Yomi? <laughs> that looks pretty great, right? It does. Who's your guys' dream guest for the podcast? If you get anybody, well, now it's uh, the Devourer of Souls. Uh, but I mean, I think George R. R. Martin would be absolutely That's delightful. True. That, would, that be, would be a lot of fun. Good. Benioff and Weiss would be good too. Benioff and Weiss would be mine. Standing Which I mean, offer. they really would. We've already told Continues. them. Continues. Whenever they talk. want, they are if welcome. I ever, if I ever get a connection, I don't care if if we end the podcast and like. 10 years later, I somehow find a connection with Benny Off and Wise. I will be like, hey, we'll spin this podcast back up. We yeah. want to hear your side. We want to we want to get it out there. Yeah. There's like 12 Sing movies, so we'll just do those and get Benny Off and Wise back in. Yeah. Uh, and we, we tell them a prerequisite is that they, they have to listen to every single Game of Thrones episode we did. <laughs> to understand that we're very nice to them, mostly. Yeah. I... Yeah. My... For some reason, I'm thinking Jenny Nicholson... But I also think she would like just outdo us because <laughs> yeah, yeah we can't we can't compete yeah that would be a bad idea I feel like <laughs> then I guess Willem Dafoe yes we were I, all I, thinking it. yeah I just want to hear about his career on the Italian stage <laughs> <laughs> now now Willem we'll we'll get back to your worst thing about, about Voyage of the Dawn Treader but I really want to <laughs> ask you about <laughs> I like. I like that you're envisioning the turnaround here. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's just in a couple of weeks. He's like, hey. Well, I was promoting Spider-Man No yeah. Way Home. Oh, you don't it, You don't need to promote it, and it's already out. Well, oh, no, I thought I would drop by. I <laughs> uh, love that guy. Um, Alex, I think before all that, I w- you were going to say something about <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Uh <laughs> This is a wonderful divergence. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you guys if you thought it was a little silly. Just I, I don't know how much time passes in between them showing up at Aslan's camp and the battle, but they get trained up real fast. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it is a little. Um, and, it, and it's yeah. not like a situation where it's established that uh, Peter and Edmund do fencing, you know, before. There's not like any yeah. sort of establishing right, right, right. elements that's like, OK, I could. All right, j- just in terms of kind of kind of movie shorthand, I'm able to yeah. buy them becoming swordsmen much faster. But yeah, right. Uh, Peter's really good on a horse. He rides a unicorn, which is which is fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's really good with swords and and like he's able to just like charge at the white witch and just take people out on the way, which is really cool. Oh yeah, he like knocks over a minotaur, and I'm like, you're a boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that. It's that energy when you see one of your family being being threatened. Uh, that's he true. Just, his brother got stabbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like start throwing bows. The, mm-hmm. Look, the theme music kicks in. You just gotta go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it 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 did strike me as yeah. I guess silly is the best word for it because like not enough to throw me out of the movie, but enough to go okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's a little throwaway line because there's a little short montage of of. Uh, susan doing her archery and then edmund and peter are riding in they're like remember keep your sword up just like uh just like the the minotaur told us or whatever and i'm like oh that's can we get a scene of that at least (laughs) you remember in shang chi where we had multiple scenes of him training before the final battle 
And yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll, we'll review Shang-Chi. We'll get there. Um, but, uh, like, we yeah. need... We need a little more breathing room for that type of thing when when the whole idea is that these kids are completely in over their heads and they have no idea what they're doing. Right. And you can't just tell me Peter held his sword out while a wolf tried to jump <laughs> at him and now he's good with swords. That's not how that works. I'm sorry. Well, he that was the one um, experience point he needed to get the mastery perk. Ah. He just needed the one more kill. Gotcha. And then that kind of tipped him over. Yeah, he also I, got five extra notches in his inventory. He, yeah, when he got when he got that kill, he he respects and like put that all back in. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peters are in the power of self respect, and he pulls out a new sword. <laughs> there is a when Aslan first comes out, it's just a great moment, and his whole army is bowing, or everyone like gets on their knees. Aureus just kind of leans forward, mm. and I understand that's because the effect of the man and the centaur body and all that stuff, but it does look a little bit like. Aureus isn't getting paid enough to bow. <laughs> Aureus is like, no, no, I, I get Let's it. Let's take some effort. Yeah. I've done this 20 times. <laughs> I have horse legs, this okay? Time, They're not built okay. to kneel. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, good stuff. Um, I do like how the movie, uh, it's very good with how it handles sequel baiting. Mm-hmm. Because I think in terms of just being a, a general fantasy family film, I think just having the end tag of like, oh, you guys might might come back. You can't you can't go back this way, um, but you might go back eventually. I if this was a one and done, if this was the only film that we got, I think that would be perfectly satisfying yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. It doesn't feel like, oh, we've got a scene at the end. The White Witch isn't dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and we don't get anything. Eyes. The yeah. White Witch is floating in space. Yeah. And now she's turning into the Grey Witch. <laughs> oh, no. The White Witch came back somehow. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have had this experience. For me, a story always gets me when there's, like, this really big time gap. And, like, characters are either realizing that there's been this huge time gap or they suddenly, like, return back to a previous point in time. Hmm. Um. So I like the idea of all the kids like living out these lives of like 15, 20 years as kings and queens of Narnia, and then they rediscover the wardrobe, and then they're just back to being kids again. I don't know. For some reason, that's just like a plot element that I find in a lot of things that, that I kind of just latch on to. That's an interesting no, I idea think to me. neat. I, I did. I was a little annoyed that they don't address that more. Yeah, they're not like, suddenly oh. adults in kids' bodies. Well, yeah, kind of, yeah, they they come back and they're just like, all right, I guess we're back. That was fun. <laughs> like, there's not more of a, oh, man, I don't know. I, I feel like that they were very chill about it. Yeah. And that threw me off. But. Yeah. No, I, I do agree. I think, I think the movie would have worked fine if they had made no others. I, I saw Prince Caspian in the theater and I've only seen it once. And I remember being disappointed, but I think it's because I was like, I am, this movie is going to make me feel the same thing mm. that the up to now most seminal movie moment of my life has been. This is going to be the same. And it was never going to do that. So I'm genuinely interested to see how I look at it now, years and years later, because I think I'll be more open to it. Um, I was open to it then, but I was also setting very specific, very high stakes. We have Peter Dinklage in the next one. I, I, I'm yeah. aware. <laughs> I think we'll also, be happier to uh, see him than he is. Ben Barnes? Ben Barnes, yeah. Great who, actor. Is, who I know mostly from 
what do I know him from? I know he's, he's not Punisher. Jigsaw in Punisher. Yeah. Spoilers, yeah. I guess. He's um, um he's on Westworld. Great on Westworld. Yeah. He's in that. No, yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. Shadow and Bone. He's in that. Sure. Which is a thing we've all watched. I read the first book. Um. <laughs> but yeah. Any other big things to to point out about the the picture? It would have been interesting to see them get to the end of the series. I I don't know that. Yeah. I I remember being mostly bored by Don Treader, but I I think that story's just it's not the most exciting thing in the first place. So, yeah. but Tyler, I guess we'll you, see how have, we feel after. I haven't seen either of the sequels. Okay, so because I've only we'll seen how we feel. This, I've only seen Caspian. I never saw I, Don Treader. I don't want to hype it up. I will get on my soapbox about Prince Caspian. I I do. I have that that one in particular. That is my favorite. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm open to uh, it. I I think uh, I think I can allow it to be what it is. Alex, uh, Prince Caspian may be your favorite, but what is your grade for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? What is my grade for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Um, Because I feel like I'm going to be mean, but I also don't know if I'm going to be mean relative to y'all, because you might be I think, in the same I think I'm probably going to give it a B plus. Okay. Um, For me, it doesn't quite enter the A range. Um, Like I said, I think it's just like, it's it's a perfect family kids film. Um it's just kind of missing a couple of pieces and it's got kind of that 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 scope and scale versus the story that it's based on it's got kind of issues there um it feels a little too big for itself and it doesn't have that world building that kind of you know building up of individual cultures or it doesn't have that stuff to kind of support it um but i like the cast i, I like a lot of the effects i like a lot of the creatures and the score is absolutely delightful so i this is a, a situation where I did consider giving it an A minus, but I'm going to give myself that buffer zone because I think Prince Gap, Prince Caspian is probably going to be somewhere in the A range for me. But we'll see. B plus. So obviously, like I said, this was a, a huge movie for me, and and it's been really interesting coming back to it as a full grown adult. And, and like I said, seeing the cracks and recognizing how I don't connect with it the same way, but. I have this very like gilded memory of this like post high school time with movies where I was getting into them in a really specific way. And I was picking up those like really random movies. It's weird that certain of them are my favorite and some of them I still adore like Pride and Prejudice and Atonement. Um, But I was, this was like the front of those movies for me. So I have such a, a, like a, a beloved so many like beloved memories of that time in my life watching movies and discovering movies and so this is very special to me for that reason and you know it, it's not a cynical kind of like oh i was misled it's actually terrible it's not i think it's a solid movie it still works on me i think the movie still works it is almost impossible for me to look at it with fresh eyes now because inevitably i still see it kind of in the same way to a lesser degree um <clears throat> It's just, it's really kind of funny to look at it now and enjoy it and appreciate it. And and it really is like meeting your high school crush as a 33-year-old and going, I totally understand why I was so in love with you now. And it's not that I'm not into you now. I'm just, I'm not not into you. It's like this odd kind of... 
of disconnect. Um, Britain, I would say w- that's that's similar to my relationship with Dark Knight Rises. Sure, 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 sure. I think Where it's like the movie's yeah. not bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I now have such a different frame of reference for for movies. Yeah, and I saw Lord of the Rings before this, and Lord of the Rings holds up so much better, and I feel like I like it even more now as an adult, and I appreciate even more of what it did. Yeah, all of and this I- is a long way to say. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and and so many subsequent movies that have either kind of taken elements from this, or yeah. kind of you know taken a step above in terms of like, okay, if my go to for you know fantasy, like more modern fantasy stuff, maybe it's been superseded, you know, at this point. Right, right. And I think in some ways that has happened. I've also seen a lot of kid YA series tried to make movies and have failed so much more spectacularly. Not only have they yeah. failed, but like have right. really not made it work. And I think Narnia is one of the successes. If only in this movie, I think it is a success. And it would just feel, when I add everything up, how I feel about the movie as itself, but also my relationship with it across the last 16 years, I am going to go A+. Because it would just, it would feel like, no, like, why not? You know, the, recognizing what this movie did for me and what it kind of opened up for me is like un, un, unspeakable. Like, I can't. I cannot put that into words. I feel like I should have let you go second or go <laughs> third because uh, I'm going to give it a B minus. <laughs> I think that's where I'm coming from. Anyway, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I was kind of like, I, I, it was, yeah, I was having a hard time really connecting with it. And I think that's coming from having like no background on it. Right. Um, right. Again, as we kind of talked about family movie, not, it's 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 always hard to readjust to that mindset and like get back into like really enjoying something like that. So I don't know. That's yeah. that's where I fall on it. Well, I think look taking but on something like too. the Hunger Games movies, I think, was kind of the inverse where it's like interacting with these things I don't have that nostalgia for that are aimed at a younger audience, but still connecting with it as an adult in a different way. And obviously Hunger Games is going for different themes to an older audience. But like, I feel like that's the closest I've come because otherwise the movies we've done that are aimed at younger audiences, I've had connections with like Toy Story or it was like Mm -hmm. Teen Titans go to the movies where I was like, I don't know why are we doing this? What have we done? Which we didn't like very much. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I, it's so hard for me to divorce myself from that, but also why would I want? Um, I will say speaking of young adult, uh, I, feel like the wolves in this look better than the wolves in twilight so that's probably true i don't remember those wolves very well but these wolves look great mm-hmm. i mean most everything <laughs> in any movie looks better than anything in twilight <laughs> well yeah Spe- speaking of better than twilight anybody got any r- 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 recommendations uh, before Tyler does a mini review of Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, I finished The Sopranos. It's really good. Um, uh, everyone do your research and know what the ending is and thematically what it's supposed to do before you watch it. Cause I feel like that would, <laughs> I understand why people were upset, but it's really good in context. And I, I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And now I can finally move on to watching other things. <laughs> True blood. <laughs> I yeah, I got, I got to like True Blood, and I just go down the rabbit hole. I'm like, all right, Vampire Diaries, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> the originals. Yeah, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast, but the last time I was sick, I knew I was sick because I had a moment where I sincerely thought, what if I watched True Blood? <laughs> and I can't tell if I was trying to prank myself. 
<laughs> well, if the, like the 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 cold had gotten into my like receptors and was like, hey, we're gonna get him. Well, the good news is my sister, she likes watching shows that inevitably turn bad. Um, and so she was all over True Blood and Vampire Diaries and, and Dexter and all of those those shows. Um, so if I need to, I can just ask her for like a two hour yeah. breakdown on the entire thing and avoid watching the show altogether. Bring her on when we talk about Arrow. Um, she hasn't watched Arrow, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, Tyler, would you like to go or shall I? You can go. So, go for it. Uh, normally, I, I like to do Christmas recommendations, but I don't. The Christmas viewing I've been doing so far has largely been stuff that I've already recommended on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Happiest Season holds up. Love Mackenzie Davis. Go. But what I what I'm going to recommend is another movie about some siblings and a king. But it's not the kind of king you're thinking of. It's a tennis king. I watched King Richard. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, this is an ill-timed recommendation because I believe it left HBO Max today as we're recording this. <laughs> um, or maybe yesterday. Uh, maybe it's in theaters. It'll be back on Max at some point. But I, I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I had been feeling a little like, oh, I want to get caught up on some Oscar stuff because Will Smith is getting a lot of heat for this mm. one. And heat in like a good heat. Um, but it is the, <laughs> the Oscar. <laughs> I like the idea that it's the opposite. The Oscars are specifically going to call him out for it being bad. Right? They're like, <laughs> We're, we are nominating you for dumbness. Um, <laughs> this year we are we are doing a co-brand deal with the Razzies. Uh, we're just going <laughs> to randomly give out awards. You won't even know what the category is. Is it best? Is it worst? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll get we'll say it's an acting award and then we'll <laughs> give it to the editing guy. Our we- our website will be impossible. <laughs> will to Smith has has won the award for actor. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, but it is it is a if for anyone who doesn't know it's a biopic of sorts about. Venus and Serena Williams as children, but largely through the focus is mostly on their dad, Richard Williams, played by Will Smith. It's an interesting idea for a biopic because even though the story is entirely centered around the sisters, it's it's not really about it is about them, but it's not through them, you know. Um, but but the the thing that really stuck out to me about it is actually how normal of a movie it is. Like it's the directing isn't flourishy. It's clear and it's confident. The writing isn't um, overly complicated, but it's really solid. Um, it's the kind of movie that reminds you, like, you know, the reason we get so many standard inspirational biopics with a big name attached is because when they work, they can be really good. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. why we keep trying and they don't always work out. Because um, as anyone who's watched movies for the last, uh, oh God, 40 years knows, Will Smith is one of the most charismatic people to ever be on a movie screen. Um, he is a true movie star. And this we don't get movies like this very often anymore where you have a big movie star playing kind of against type in a, you know, familiar but really solid, confident awards type movie that stands on its own outside of awards um he's really really good in it like not just oh i like will smith maybe he'll get an oscar like oh i he this actor does a really good job in this movie and i think it would be fitting if he won i haven't seen a whole lot of movies yet to really know i'm i'm a big andrew garfield supporter this year for tick tick boom but i really am, am getting there with uh with will smith and, and king richard it's a really great performance 
Everyone else in it is great. Ingenue Ellis is really wonderful as the girl's mom. Both the kids who play the sisters are really good. Ven- it, it, it focuses more on Venus, and Sydney as Sydney uh, is really, really good as Venus. Um, you've also got a really fun performance from John Bernthal as uh, uh-huh. Rick Macy, the girl's coach, um, which it's a very different kind of performance for him where he's like, well, you know these girls, they're going to play tennis, and we're going to get them out there and just have a great time. And uh, it's a it's it was really enjoyable seeing Bernthal do something very different and do it very well. There is a part where he gets frustrated and he touches the bridge of his nose and kind of like ticks his head. And I was like, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> There's Frank Castle slash Shane Walsh. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it's it's a movie that I I really do recommend as a like really just confident, well made. It doesn't have a lot of auteur frills because it doesn't need them. The story works. The characters are interesting. Richard is a is an interesting, flawed, uh, likable, not likable protagonist. A lot of great acting. Great performance from Will Smith. I, I, I liked it definitely more than I was expecting to. So I can heartily recommend King Richard. Tyler? Um, I also watched previous recommend- Britain recommendation, Tick, Tick, Boom. Hey! Uh, I will say. Uh, which was a lot of a lot of fun. It was very mm-hmm. a lot of fun. That's probably not. Sometimes it's fun. Yeah, parts of it are fun. Um, <laughs> parts of it are fun, and the parts that are not supposed to be fun are not fun. Yes, if that <laughs> makes sense, uh, rightly so. Uh, and it's yeah, it's it's really good, and I would I would agree. I think Andrew Garfield is great in that. Um, mm-hmm. in Andrew Garfield's own words, he is not in the other movie that I uh have to recommend, which is Spider Man No Way Home. Uh, I it's great. totally believe you. It's, it's <laughs> I great. Uh, 100% believe you. Yeah. Why, who would be lying about this? Um, yeah. Certainly not uh, Andrew Garfield. Not Andrew you, Garfield. He was using his acting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go watch Spider-Man No Way Home. It, it sounds like pretty much everyone is already watching Spider-Man No Way Home, except for these two yeah. wackos. <laughs> Look, uh, I was out of town. I have an excuse. I'll see it in a couple of days. Be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared um, of spiders. I mean, also, <laughs> also, like, obviously, be safe because there is the Omicron variant, yes, which yes. apparently has has taken off once again. Um, also, seeing Willem Dafoe on screen um, can be very, very creepy. So, like, be also, safe in the theater. Yes, be safe in multiple ways. Uh, no, but like, if if you are in a position where you feel like you can do that in a in a, in a safe and uh, sort of controlled environment, um do so because it's very very good uh there's a reason it is blowing up far beyond anything that's come out since avengers endgame not not just talking about pandemic movies but like it uh, it is now like the third highest grossing opening weekend of any movie domestically like in the u.s outside of is domestic u.s or is domestic in north america i believe it's just u.s is it just u.s um like the the only other two that have gone higher are Infinity War and Endgame, <laughs> so uh, it's and the, I I understand why. Um, and we'll talk about it at some point. And I don't want to get too much more into it beyond that. I'll I I will say I guess the my main thing is I I was pleasantly surprised beyond my expectations. From I had like expectations of like this will probably be fun uh and it'll probably be neat from looking at the trailers going into it and it surpassed those by quite a bit so i will yeah leave it there 
Tyler, I think go watch it if you can. I think the if question not, hopefully is, it'll hit streaming for for a Spider-Man contrarian like myself in terms of my opinion of the movies. It, it, do you think I will enjoy it, and people like yes. me will enjoy it? Yes, I think specifically you need to watch it very okay. soon. That's okay. wonderful. <laughs> it's not uh, far from home, so I'll call it a win. <laughs> sure. Well, no, the theater's right down the road, bud. Oh yeah. my god, you did! A but thing. you won't have a way home back from the theater. After. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, just one quick note. I in the weeks since I have watched Tick Tick Boom, it has like I've I I like Andrew Garfield's performance more and more. Like as it sits mm-hmm. with me, um, I liked it when I watched it, but it's more and more like coming to clear. Like he throws so much into that performance. He covers such a wide range of things. And I, like I said, I I I don't know who I want to win anything yet this year, but I really hope he gets attention because he is. It's a really good performance from a very good actor. Um, and the second thing is a question about Spider-Man. Um, I've seen a few people use their caps lock key to discuss the man. Is Willem Dafoe so very, very good? Yes. he. Yeah. Is, I think he's better than in the first Spider-Man. Like, cool. With, with, where that's kind of like a fun, like campy. I mean, he obviously there's a lot of like iconic moments from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's genuinely terrifying in moments in this and... They 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 know that they have Willem Dafoe, and they're like, "We're going to use Willem Dafoe to do the things that he likes to do." Okay, um, that's awesome. He's no, he's he's very good. I like to think that the the guys who wrote uh, Ant Man the Wasp and uh, Far From Home they get hired to write the next one, and they're like, "Oh, we might get Willem Dafoe," and their inspiration is the Lighthouse. They just watch. Yeah, the, I was like, gonna say. <laughs> That's that's how where, we're writing him in the next Spider-Man movie. Is there a scene where Tom Found Holland it. loses his mind on a seagull? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so no, I, I was gonna I was gonna try and we can we can revisit that. Uh, cool. Because I feel like I could make the funny connection. But gotcha. Green gotcha. Goblin's just yeah, standing I'm, over I'm him. Hark! <laughs> I know Alex is planning to see it soon. I, I'm not sure when I will, but I'm definitely looking forward to catching it. I've heard nothing but Sterling things so far. Yeah. Well, I, we, we're on an interesting, <clears throat> not full pattern, I guess, but where this year and last year we have watched a very important movie to me for our Christmas special. And that's pretty cool. Muppet Christmas Carol and this year. So I guess next year we'll have to watch, I don't know, Anomalisa. Sure. But... <laughs> That'll be a good refresher after uh, we like like a good kind of palate cleanser after we watch the remaining Snyder films. Uh, That's true. Sometime <laughs> next year, spoiler, uh, it, it's going to happen, and the rest <laughs> of them uh, think I'm joking about this until it happens. Army of the Dead and the Anomalies. <laughs> I don't know that that will happen, but I don't know I, which one would would be the more I, uh, depressing experience. I can't say it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think I see Look, a connective. At least Anomalisa is is depressing on purpose. <laughs> There's probably a scene where a, a, a hotel concierge repeats someone's menu ad nauseum to uh, their room service order in Army of the Dead. Okay, I, I need to pitch this. I need, I need Charlie Kaufman just write whatever you want. I need Snyder to direct it. Just... <laughs> It can be anything you want, as long as Zach directs it. And they asked uh, all the actors, "What was it like working with Zach?" He shrugged a lot on that. <laughs> there was we a kept, lot of. We kept like, asking ah. him for. 
We kept asking him questions about context and motivation, and he just threw his hands up and said, we're ready to shoot. It's like he that seems scene. very confused. Uh, and you know what? The movie turned out great. Yeah. <laughs> totally cohesive. It's like that scene at the beginning of Ed Wood where he's, like, where he's looking at the stock footage and he says, no one knows, something's happening. No one knows what it is, but it's scaring all the buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Snyder. <laughs> he's repeating that. Like, he's like, oh, the script says you, you go here and do this. And they're like, okay, but do you know, do you know why you, you go here and do this? <laughs> Uh, Mr. Snyder, where is the airplane set? You're standing in it. <laughs> yeah, come on. Now, this says you're supposed to repeat uh, an article word for word, word, word for word from the issue of the Village Voice. Do you have your racquetball kit? Because <laughs> you're going to need that, apparently. I don't know. It'll be fun. And J.J. Abrams is somewhere going, that old saw. How... How much uh, uh, arm bending would it take to convince Charlie Kaufman to write the sequel to Sucker Punch? Probably uh. breaking it, if I had to guess. <laughs> um, but also, I do like the idea of Charlie Kaufman writing a script and then giving this to like three or four huge direct, huge big name directors, like household name directors that just make giant blockbusters and be like, hey, do something with this. So you got Snyder, you got J.J. Abrams. You got Michael Bay. You got Michael Bay. Yeah. Hey, Mike, Mike, you want to take a crack at this? I got a weekend free. <laughs> oh, Boise. There's a lot of snow when I'm thinking of ending things, so hey. No, but... uh. Once again, it's, uh, of course, my favorite time of year and uh, my favorite time of the week, getting to talk to my buddies. And uh, thank you all for listening to our, our humble little podcast. Um, we sure love doing it, and we hope that you enjoy listening to it. Uh, I think I said this last year, but to me, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all of it, whatever you say, it just means I hope you have a nice day and that I care about you. And I care about you, listeners. I don't know you, <laughs> but I care about you. <laughs> Um, and if you can find a reason to, to do something nice for somebody, whether it's Christmas or your faith or just you're feeling like it that day, it's a good reason. Do something nice for another person. It's a good thing. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I signed off on that. I approve. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have done. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Merry, Merry Christmas. I've been Britain. I've been Alex. Uh, I've been Tyler. And if you want to listen to the next episode of this oh, podcast, God. you can find us online here from the sequels.blogspot.com. Come find us on Twitter at HTT sequels. Uh, you can email us at here the sequels at gmail.com or on Spotify and SoundCloud and Apple music. Um, but most importantly, uh, you're having a Merry Christmas.